0: Hi, this is Carol Etoile. Welcome to another podcast episode. And um, I want to talk about something something that's meaningful, at least to me. And I know I'm not alone because I've been searching it all over the web. And there are other people who feel this way too, who are hopefully addressing the issue a little bit more. Um, I used to be, and I still am, from time to time involved in the 12-step program. And it's because it's the only free program available that even goes into deeper issues than just uh, behavioral modification and cognitive behavioral therapy type stuff that traditional therapists will um, do. At least, if you're on the government insurance in the United States, I don't know what uh, I don't. I'm not too clear on what mental health is like in other countries. Um, I've I've heard English people and Australians and Canadians complain about and talk about the inadequacies of mental health care. Um, they're often on waiting lists to even get treatment for mental health problems and. And addictions and things. So, um... Americans can't afford it. You know, poor Americans can't afford good therapy. Because they're at the bottom of the barrel. They're they're just, you know, utilizing uh, Medi-cal- Medicaid and Medicare and other government programs. And I'm not knocking the government programs. I'm glad they're in place. And they also leave a lot to be desired. Not enough money goes into it. And... Time is money and the quality of care is money and the quality of health care is money. And more often than not, there isn't enough. So many of us resort to the 12-step program. There's even a 12-step program that, that at least comes close to, if not addresses, mental health. And um, I've, that was the first 12-step program I was involved in, uh, Emotions Anonymous. And since I don't even give my real name on the podcast, I'll go ahead and break my anonymity. You know, Carol E., now my, now my first name is almost true, but I have another name. I have a, I have a real first name, so I'm not, I don't think I'm necessarily breaking my anonymity. Um, Carol was my mother's middle name, and um, she named me after um, herself and two friends of hers. So uh, my my legal name is different from my name on the podcast. And even the name I go by, you know, I go by Carol in 12-step meetings. So um, I go to Al-Anon and I go to open AA meetings to deal with my addiction. And I'm a love addict. I'm a sex and love addict. And I, I can safely say that more safely because it is addressed in the professional and in the peer community in mental health. And my mentor even entertains the idea that it is my mental illness, but I do have symptoms that disable me. I have major depression and anxiety. I was diagnosed with major depression and general anxiety in the mental health system. I was also diagnosed with borderline personality disorder versus complex post-traumatic stress disorder in the mental health system at the very, very end around 2016. And I went back again in 2017 when I was dealing with a mental health crisis around my addiction. And I was also going again to open AA meetings. Um, There weren't too many SLAA meetings available in my city, that I could get around to that were very stable. So I didn't go to those. And also I realized that I don't go to a lot of face-to-face 12-step meetings. And this is where I will talk about my topic. And I will post the link to an article that I, that I read just now. I know I'm not alone and there's more than one article on the web about 13-stepping. 13-stepping is jokingly said like this had had a passionate affair and one or both relapsed clinically i think or in the community communities mental health communities or self-help communities or professional community i think they recognize it as as someone uh, more experienced in the 12-step program preying on someone less experienced and it more often than not happens to women and girls and um although it's not limited to that uh you know that group um i know it happens to men and boys it happens a lot to uh people that um are not uh traditional you know man and woman boy and girl lifestyle they uh they're lgbtq etc i fall into that category as well i'm uh i'm lgbtq um I'm bi. And, um, I get misunderstood that I want to fuck everyone because I'm bisexual, you know, things like that. I get, I get, uh, misunderstood as someone who, who goes out and asks for it. Um, and many abuse survivors, and I was one, many abuse survivors have spent their lives following a pattern of powerlessness. They followed a pattern of believing that there's nothing they can do about it. They've had things done to them and that's their destiny and their life. And there's nothing they can do about it. They can't change their damaged goods. They're they're there for the asking. They're there for the taking all the time. It's open season to uh, mess with them all the time. And that's what I believed all my life. I believed that I was just some mentally ill female that only had the right to, uh, take what she could get for love, you know, take crumbs, you know, take, just take what's there and, uh, or ask, beg for it. Um, people could do whatever the, you know, what they wanted to me wanted, you know, and, um, that was my destiny and in, in, in a therapy, in an ideal therapeutic community. I want to learn how to countermand that idea. Um, I want to even encourage others, other victims and survivors, to uh, countermand that idea. And I can't do that in a thirteenth step environment. I can't do that where I'm subject to being abused and re-victimized once again. Now, this came up again when um, someone who knew my mentor brought it up. He was visiting me. Um, He lives a little more locally. He doesn't live in Canada as my mentor does. He lives in L.A. And um, he was visiting uh, San Diego last weekend. And he dropped in and um, we spent maybe a day together. And um, he said, Jen Carroll, I notice when you go to 12-step meetings, when you go to Zoom, or when you go, when you've gone face-to-face before the pandemic, Um, maybe even after the pandemic when lockdown was over um, in America, you went to uh, 12-step meetings, and it seemed like I noticed you getting and giving more support to the men. And um, I examined that thought, I examined that idea, and I looked back on, and I, and I thought, yeah, that, that's true. It seemed like I could relate more to the man. And, um, maybe it was because I didn't have a father. Um, that, that brings up another thing. Uh, I remember, uh, pre-COVID, I, I visited with this person, and I was looking at photo albums with him, because he was helping me clean my aunt's house. And, um, I came across a picture of my stepfather and I started crying for no reason that I thought anyway. And that was, of course, years before I had memories of him abusing me when I was four years old. And um, my friend said, uh, whatever you're crying about, you're not crazy. Those tears are real and they're coming out of your eyes. They're not crocodile tears and you didn't conjure them up. You're not crazy. And he was right because... A decade, decades, or decades later, I started remembering my stepfather abusing me, and I got back to this friend, and I said, "You were right. I this man abused me when I was four years old, and um, I didn't remember. I'd forgotten about it. So I'm looking at his picture, and you know, your your feelings remember. Your feelings remember. Your body remembers, even if you don't remember photographically. You don't remember uh, mentally." So, I'm in a therapeutic environment, and um, why am I being drawn to the men? Why am I being distracted by the men? You know, I'm asking myself, you know, because I was examining this idea that my friend was bringing up last weekend. Why is this happening again? How come I'm not getting, how come I'm not seeking and getting support from women? How come I'm not getting a female sponsor? Um, how come I wasn't drawn to the women and even in the SLAA groups that I, I, I could attend sometimes in, in the city, you know, and locally or whatever, um, what, what was going on? And, um, it was probably because there were, there was a pattern or a subconscious thing in my head. So, um, the solution that was suggested by my friend, cause he's very familiar with 12 step and he's, familiar with my case even though he's not in it himself and my mentor you know noticing these these patterns now now mind you these are men these are men that I trust these are men I've known since I was 10 years old you know I love them like my brothers um they love me like I'm I'm their little sister and of course there's my roommate Bruce he's been very supportive about this too I even br- I told him about it today um I called it out. I was on a, I was on an AA platform. Um, and, um, I made an announcement. I said, don't be surprised if I focus only on the women. I don't want you men to be upset if I, if I'm not being very supportive to you guys. Um, I'm, I'm following a rule. The women with the women, the men with the men. I'm even trying to get a sponsor right now. Um... I got, I got, I got supported and I also got flamed very badly and it takes maybe a few seconds for a verbal comment or a verbal, a destructive verbal criticism to hit you and fuck up your life for years. It takes only that long, maybe a few seconds, 30 seconds, five seconds, and it takes a long time for, for someone to, uh, help you, uh, take compliments. You know, it might take years and years and years of therapy for you to have self-esteem when you get abused like that. So, I got at least five, five comments on my uh, post about, you know, I'm going to stay with the women. I got one saying, don't announce it to the whole group. I got another one saying, shove it up your wazoo. I got another, another comment saying, uh, you're not being very supportive. You're, and another one saying, you're bashing men. And this was after I explained that I wasn't bashing men. This was after I explained why I was doing what I was doing. This was after I explained and explained and explained and explained. Man, I have spent my life trying to be correct. I spent my life trying to explain myself. <sighs> I spent my life trying to explain away what might have happened between my stepfather and me. Like, like many typical children of divorce, I thought it was my fault that he left. And I got committed, uh, you know, months later you know, got committed to a mental institution, because I I was going into kindergarten at the time, and I couldn't handle being at school with the other children. I just couldn't, I could not handle it. I friggin' had a mental breakdown at age four. So, um, I'm trying to be in a therapeutic environment. I haven't even gone to the, the meat of my, um, episode here. Um, I'm gonna post the, uh, if I remember, post the article. Um, this is called, How AA meetings push some women into harmful dating. Again, now I, my story is very complicated and I could do a whole other episode talking about that. Um, I'm going to maybe read a few, this is kind of a long article, but I'm going to read some of it. I'm going to go over it a little bit. I don't want to violate any uh, copyright if it's copyrighted, but I want to kind of skim over it just a little bit. It starts out saying, I was fresh meat. It's by Darlena Kunha. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. C-U-N-H-A. Kunha. I don't know if that's her real name. It was uh, written um, on theguardian.com. Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015. Oh, God. This was like years ago. I don't care. I was going through this uh, issue before tonight before last night. At 23 years old, Asia Blackwood was the proud stay-at-home mother of three young children in a quaint Connecticut neighborhood. Yeah, she was basically doing uh, homemaker stuff and um, stay-at-home stuff with children and um, keeping house while her husband worked. Yeah, I'm not going to read this word for word, but you get the idea. Under the surface, her happy home was crumbling. She uh, She suffered from depression, I think. She had these uh, emotional issues going on. And um, she was given, um, post let's see, post-childbirth, postpartum painkiller. I think it was Percocet. Yeah. She um, discovered how good it made her feel. And uh, she discovered that it helped her with her depression and her ennui. And it helped her feel like she was less tired. And, um, she had to get help for that. She got addicted to, uh, the drugs. And, um, her prescription ran out. She started buying the pills online. Um, she was still married at the time, but she divorced her husband. She wasn't happy in her marriage. She meets this other guy, and, um, he's a recovering drug addict. And, uh, introduces her to, uh... Other drugs. And uh, she can't use her husband's credit cards anymore, so she can't afford the pills anymore. So she ends up uh, buying another drug that her uh, new boyfriend uh, recommended. You know, a new street drug. Um, She could afford it more. But then she loses her kids. She loses her home. She's uh, wondering what happened. How come she's not a stay-at-home mom anymore? She's a homeless woman, drug addict. She um, goes to AA a year later, dumps her uh, boyfriend, starts going to AA. She gets 13th stepped. She describes it this way. What I did not expect was to be fresh meat when I walked into AA meetings. Men wanted my number. They wanted to date me. I was newly sober, clueless, and craving love. Yeah, a lot of women crave love. I did. I did. When I joined Emotions Anonymous, I had just left home a year ago. Um, I was starting to uh, go into school where I was attempting to finish high school because I had left school. I had been bullied at school all my life, and I'd run away from home. I was being verbally and emotionally abused by my aunt, and I had to leave home. So you bet your bottom dollar I I wanted love. And um, I joined uh, Emotions Anonymous when I was 17, Uh, after breaking up with uh, a boyfriend, a boyfriend that I had when I was 16. Um, And um, Emotions Anonymous turned out to be Club Med. You know, I couldn't escape from from it even in in there. And um, I got crushes on men. Make a long story short, I got crushes on men. And I even, uh, I don't know, I would let them, some of them drive me home. We'd call each other. And, um, there was a rule that you should stick with the women. I had a sponsor. Um, I don't know. I I called her. Um, I was having some issues that the 12-step program didn't seem to be able to even scratch the surface sometimes. Because, again, mind you, I was dealing with repressed memories. I had been abused. Um, my stepfather was not the only one who abused me. I had other, uh... Other traumas that um, I brought up in the life experiences module many, 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 many many episodes ago. Ten issues, including but not limited to abuse at home and then bullying at school. So um, Blackwood's story of love in the time of drug abuse is not unique. Women trying to recover or falling into the trap of dating in which or, you know, liaisons, sexual romantic liaisons with men in which the goal is not love or mutual support but a power play in which they are the losers. So uh, maybe there's another story um, about, um, let's see, okay, Alex Hankel's story, not her real name. 15, she was already addicted. 18, she was running NA meetings, um, Narcotics Anonymous, in her community in New Orleans. Like I knew any damn thing, she recalls. The groups are so unstructured, basically anything goes. Oh, uh-huh crack 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 i felt my rib cage my heart was breaking when i read that Hankel ended up pregnant by a man 15 years late, her senior while in rehab so rehab's not even a safe place she said she tried to observe the one year guideline in place users have one year of sobriety before they start dating but that is only one of the young women in, that as one of the young women in her groups she was a main target for sexual advances I was too young to be navigating my sobriety around so many disturbed people, Hankel said. I needed a mental health professional. No kidding. Again, as I brought up earlier, it's hard to find mental health care that's available that deals with issues, deals with issues underneath addictions. Okay, um, she was set up with a personal therapist who paid attention to the specific issues beneath her addiction. If people in rehab programs only focus on their dependencies, they are only scraping the surface, painting over a broken down foundation without fixing the splintering wood beneath, Hankel explained. Without delving down to the root of the problem, it becomes more likely to grow again. I don't know how many times I've I've tried to address that in the mental health system that I was in. In these uh, treatment programs, you know, uh, well, time is money. And, um, uh, Medi-Cal and Medicare don't pay enough money, these, uh, mental health programs, maybe even these rehab programs, and these rehab programs, I hear, are expensive. Uh, mental health is probably very, very expensive. Um, one time, uh, they made a mistake, um, when I was going to day treatment, they made a mistake with a bill one day, and it was like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and I was able to clear it up with, uh, Medicare. Medicare and Medicaid, and uh, we got that squared away, but I, I almost fucking fainted looking at that bill. I thought, oh my God, all this, and they're not even scratching the surface. So time is money. Okay, such groups are not equipped to address many of the complex issues that come along with addiction since they're run by people who are not trained as professionals. These groups are places anyone can walk into where anything can happen. Well, I was in mental health I was in uh, group therapy with professionals with marriage and family therapists and uh, psychologists and that was all well and good, that was all good but the system, bless them, they were working under the system they were working under was not giving them enough money or time or a resource to address and it was group therapy too and it was co-ed group therapy um... I have yet to wonder if I can ever join a uh, a women's Medicare, Medicaid, a women's dual eligible uh, program for mental health, that would be a little bit better. Even if they don't address my uh, sexual abuse issues, maybe they'll at least have more room to address uh, minority issues or women's issues, you know. I see a lot of women and blacks and people of color and minority groups in these mental health groups, but there still isn't enough money or time or resource to deal with the real, very real issues they go through living under an oppressive uh, system, an oppressive government or an oppressive um, citizenry society. You know, where we don't deal with sexual abuse, we don't deal with, with some addictions that are very real, that could could have been even generate been generated by these uh, these abuse or, you know, these issues, these social issues. Um, while there are certain a- AA meetings that are women only, the availability of these meetings are scarce at best, as she fr- she was frequently the only woman in a group of 15 or more men because there was simply no option in her area. Yeah, well, I was using public transportation, and I couldn't find women's groups I found a couple of women's groups across town, but never mind. You, I had to take public transportation and deal with a bunch of men on the bus. Um, I think in Mexico there might have been a uh, route, uh, uh, you know, buses for women only, and um, called the Pink Line. And that was that was trashed and castigated. Oh, uh, you you can't. Oh, men can't ride ride this bus. Men can't get on the bus. We gotta wait for the next bus. Well. Touche, um, maybe my attitude there is maybe if you would stop raping or having that kind of an attitude We we we'd want to let you ride with us without that attitude Touche So, um, I don't know. I want to finish by saying, um If we don't have a sexually mature society Maybe maybe men and women have to be segregated You know, and um that's really sad because um, that's like saying why can't the bullies be separated from the uh, the victims? And again, I know that not not all men are like that, but I think there are more there are more uh, entitled men that stand out than men that are not like that. I think men like that um, feel they might feel a lot like like uh, a lot of uh, female victims. Like, gee willikers, uh, there's nothing uh, we can really do. What can we do about it? Well, it takes a lot of courage to stand up to bullies. It takes a lot of courage to stand up to rapists. It takes a lot of courage to even call the cops when a crime is committed. Because, you know, lots, many of us are afraid they're going to get back at us. Criminals are going to get back at us. So, uh, members are expected to move through the organization's 12 steps and accept the doctrine put forth by, EA, by AA. Okay, um, let's see, who might question, okay, whatever, okay, leaving them alone, okay, when they stumble across the 13th step, all right, so being hit on an AA was a daily living for me, oh my god, my heart's breaking again, in hindsight, I realized I was never really able to focus on my sobriety right on, how can you focus on, on recovery or mental health when you're always watching your back, you can't, it's not a safe place to do that, Let's see. Oh, my God. Here, here's, here's one more woman, and I'll close this. I didn't lose my mother to alcohol. I lost her to AA, says another woman, Colant. Uh, um, I think I'll just call her um, C. Being a teenager with a cute mom in AA was not fun at all. No kid wants to see their parent dating anyway, but the guys from AA bring it to a whole other level. So she probably had to watch her mom go through that. Oh, my God. Her mother soon married a man she met through the group meetings who had 15 years of sobriety to her mother's one year. And the new couple forced C to go to meetings, too, even though she didn't yet have a substance problem. So she's, you know, dragged dragged along by the family, like, you know, you're going to church whether you like it or not kind of mentality. They didn't want me to be alone in the house all the time, she said. So I went to meetings and to sober dances, you know, AA activities. I was offered drugs there every single time. What? What the fuck? Eventually, C did end up with a substance problem, and she has been to AA as an adult on and off throughout her life, taking what she needs from the program and leaving the rest. Okay, that's normal. I did that, too. But the rest won't leave her. Yeah, the rest follows you. No kidding. I showed up to a meeting once in flip-flops and a black T-shirt. Some guy yelled out, You know what she's looking for! I got, in this, I got in his face about it and shamed him. Then I was told I shouldn't have said anything to him about it because he was new. A newcomer. <gasps> yeah, I got that crap last night about being unsupportive. Unsupportive. You know. What about me? I, I should put up with that? Yeah. Yeah, lady. You go, girl. You go. I don't care if you're fi- 50 years old. You don't need that. Okay, she knows how to handle herself around the members, but she worries about her daughter going through that. Um, C suffers from depression, which she said she mitigated by self-medicating. Yeah, again, she turns to alcohol because uh, she believe, probably believes alcohol won't abuse her, you know, in, until it goes to her liver, of course. But yeah, alcohol won't, won't rape her or kick her in the butt. Alcohol will make her feel better. She turns 22. She decides to get help. Um, She started to go to AA and NA. Her first week there, she met a man who had four years of sobriety and began dating him, only to find him isolating her from her friends and family, policing the way she dressed, and eventually hitting her. Oh, totally not okay. He was jealous and kept me on a short leash, always pretending it was about my sobriety and what was best for me. Oh my gosh. A, uh, C broke it off and left AA only to fall back into deep depression and substance dependency. When she tried again months later to recover, she found AA to be a dangerous place, even without an abusive relationship tinging it. Being hit on in AA was a daily thing for me. I relished in it. Honestly, I loved that all eyes were on me all the time. Yeah, yeah, you, you get it. You get it. Uh, Sugar coated with romance. You get it sugar coated with, with love with love and romance, lovey dovey and romance. Love bombing. In hindsight I realized I was never really able to focus on my sobriety. She states that the kind of attention paid to young women in the programs is detrimental in all ways. Every single one of us is vulnerable going into those rooms. For the first time in your life, you think you're learning to cope with your feelings. You're not hiding behind substances anymore, and you're not speak and you're speaking in front of people who hug you. And tell you they love you. But they don't. They're in it for themselves. Okay, I will just, I will end right there. Um, I'll read one more paragraph. This is a really long article. Um, let's see. Uh, I think this article ends. You guys can read it for yourself. But, uh, the article ends by saying, we didn't learn how to deal with our problems. We didn't learn how to stay sober in uh, AA. We learned how to love ourselves, and that's what helped us uh, basically uh, deal with our problems. And in an abusive environment, we don't learn how to love ourselves. We learn how to hate ourselves. We learn how to not care about ourselves. And um, I was in a place, if you guys listened to my podcast episodes back in November and December, um, I was dealing with uh, my love addiction. I was dealing with holiday triggers, and I joined an open AA platform on Zoom um, in December. I also joined Al-Anon. Nothing's happened to me yet in Al-Anon, maybe because uh, Al-Anon is mostly uh, women, because a lot, a lot of it's the wives and uh, women of alcoholics. Um, there are women in AA too, but um, I think there were more women in uh, Al-Anon. So um, I didn't go through it in Al-Anon but I think I'm going to do the same thing on the Al-Anon platform that I'm doing on the AA platform. I, might, I may not announce it this time, but um, I don't think I had no right to do that either, but I think this time I might just uh, focus on the women, and if it comes up, you know, if some guy asks me why I'm not being supportive, I'll just say, look, um, it's because I'm focusing on women you know, I'm, I'm relating more to the women. Um, so, um, and then in AA, my dealing with my addiction, I'm going to, I attended a women's meeting last night. I found a women's meeting on Zoom. I'm glad there was one available. And I started calming down because I started hearing women talking. And I started being able to focus on what I needed in my sobriety. And um, I'm back on my, on day one. Because I had, to, um, I had to say no to this other guy uh, a few days ago. Um, last episode I, was, uh, I did about uh, self-hate programming. Um, I was dealing with him. And I don't know if that was one of the reasons why I was so vulnerable to my self-hate programming again. So um, we don't learn to love ourselves and get sober and clean in uh, an environment where we're distracted all the time. We're distracted where we feel like we have to uh, be socially just so, whether it's to men, whether it's to a majority group like um, the the people that are that are um, that are still socially in power, um, even politically in power, although we did have we did have a black president. And now we have a female vice president, you know, as long as we still feel like we're under the power of people with money, people between the ages of uh, 18 and 65 and uh, male and uh, white, you know, whatever, you know, as long as we still feel like there's nothing we can do about that, you know, we're not going to, I I suspect we're not going to be able to, to have a good recovery process because we're still going to be distracted by our social and political and emotional and sexual and romantic pressures. And I think that's the truth. You know, search your feelings, everyone. You know, I think that's true. Now, you might have another opinion about it or another angle on it, but we can't, we can't function in a therapeutic environment that's tinged by, an, by danger, you know, by feeling threatened or feeling like we're on our guard all the time. We need to be able to trust trust our environment. We need to be able to relax and work on ourselves and heal. Otherwise, we won't. Okay, I'm going to go now. I'm going to post the uh, link on this episode so you guys can uh, read it and know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking out of my butt. I'm I'm doing research on it and I'm still learning. And please don't use my I'm still learning as a trump card to bully me. Okay. Be safe. Be safe, everyone. This is real. We have to learn how to be safe. And the only way we can do that is by working on fighting off predatory behavior.